book of Hebrews is one of my favorite books. It's a marvelous book, so well crafted. Whoever wrote it uh, organized it in just a brilliant fashion. And uh, it's worth great study. This morning I'd like for us to look at the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12. Now I'm going to be using the New King James translation. If you have the New American Standard, there will be a few words or phrases that are not translated quite the same way. I use the New King James because of the underlying Greek texts, and it saves me some trouble in uh, translating it into Russian because their underlying text uh, is more in keeping with what we have in the New King James. So uh, <clears throat> I, I trust you're, won't, you won't be confused as we have a, a few differences in the wording of the text. All right, he starts out by saying, therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to stop and ask, what is it there for? Uh, Which means now we are going to have a conclusion based upon previously presented information. The previously presented information actually goes back to chapter 10, verse 19 and following, where we had a previous therefore. And what he's going to say is based on this information that we have just been presented, we are going to draw some conclusions. Now he says, we also, we also means in addition to those people that he has just referred to in chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter on Old Testament believers who exercised faith in the promises of God. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So here we have really the climax to the entire argument that he's been making about better promises. The book of Hebrews is the book of better things. He is showing how Jesus is superior to anyone or anything to which he might be compared. We have much better things in the spiritual life today than any believer in the Old Testament ever had. We have greater benefits. We have greater assets. We have greater privilege in the church age, in the body of Christ, than any Old Testament saint ever had, whether he was Abraham or Moses or David or any prophet or anyone that you might name. You today have greater spiritual assets. So he is now going to give a climax to the fact that we have better promises, and he's going to say, because of this, there ought to be a difference in your attitude and in your life. So he says, we also, in addition to those mentioned, uh, for example, in chapter 11, verse 39, where he says all of these, all of the people listed in chapter 11. Now he says we are surrounded, and uh, he's saying lying around us, all around us, 
we have a cloud of witnesses. The word cloud here, there are different words in Greek for clouds. This one is a vast mass of clouds. It's not just some fluffy little thing up in the air, but it's a vast mass of clouds. And he says, this is all around us. And what is surrounding us is this cloud of witnesses. Now, some people have said, well, this is like having a great stadium, and the seats are all filled, and they're like a cloud, and, and we're down on the field, and they're watching us. No, that's not what he is saying here. This word for witnesses, it's not a spectator. This is not the word for a spectator. This is a word for somebody who's on the witness stand. This is a word that means somebody who is giving testimony, somebody who has facts, has information, and he's going to tell what he knows. That's the witness here. And the witnesses are those in chapter 11, and these are people who trusted God in the most difficult of circumstances. They had great pressure in life. They had suffering. They had difficulties. They had what we today call issues. Nobody has problems anymore. Everybody has issues. These people faced a lot of pressure. They had stress. But what they did was trust God in spite of their circumstances, and they are now declaring the faithfulness of God. Great is thy faithfulness. In spite of circumstances, they're giving testimony of the love of God, the sustaining ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, the power of the Word of God in the life as they learned the promises of God and they believed those promises. So we are surrounded. We today continue to be surrounded by those from the past who give testimony of faith, not just in Christ for salvation, but they give testimony of faith in the Word of God, faith in the promises of God. Now he says, because of this, therefore, we also, being surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Lay aside, uh, it means to take off clothing. This is a word that was used frequently by the Apostle Paul uh, in Ephesians, Colossians, Roman, where he says, let's lay aside, let's put off the old man, our former manner of life. Let's, let's lay those things aside because they are going to keep us from fulfilling our spiritual life. And now he is going to use a metaphor here. He's going to have a picture of somebody who is running a race. Now, it used to be that the runners were called thin-clads. I don't know if they still call them that or not, but runners take off all the clothing they possibly can because it's heavy. It will slow them down. And so he's saying here, we need to lay aside the things that hinder us from fulfilling the spiritual life, those things that would slow us down. And he says, we need to lay these things aside before we can run the race. We need to get rid of the hindrances, and that's called here every weight. Now, what kind of things hinder us in our spiritual life? Well, it may be mental attitude sins, worry, 
pride, jealousy, envy, or it may be laziness, it may be greed, or any other sin uh, or attitude. These things hinder us in our spiritual life. And he's saying we need to set these aside. And then he talks about the sin that so easily ensnares us. Now, this word ensnare, easily ensnares us. Actually, there's no word for easily in the Greek text here. And it's kind of, it's a very strange word, actually. Uh, It means to, uh, well, literally, to stand around well. Doesn't make any sense to us. Uh, It has a a number of meanings or dozen possible ways that one might uh, translate this. But the idea here is that there is something that surrounds us. And now he calls here that easily ensnares us. This would be like a noose. It would be like a trap that uh, someone might set to catch a rabbit so that they get a snare uh, around the neck. And he's saying there is sin that easily ensnares us. It goes around us. Now, A.T. Robertson, Robertson, the great Greek scholar, said it's like a ring of wild beasts in the jungle that encircle the campfire at night, each one ready to pounce upon a careless victim. So he's, he pictures it as you're surrounded by these fierce animals and they are ready to pounce on you. Um, This would be like Genesis 4-7, where uh, it says sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But he's saying here, you have something that is waiting to disturb your spiritual life. And we're all different. We all have areas of strength. We all have areas of weakness. Uh, I, I illustrate this by saying... You know, if you put a piece of cake in front of me, I can resist that all day, but boy, you put some cherry pie and ice cream out there, and it, you know, I, I can't say no to that. But you might like cake and not like cherry pie. We're all different. And it's this way in, in our lives that what is a, a temptation for me may not be a temptation for you at all. You may be very strong in the very area where I am weak. We're all different. And sometimes we start to live, well, how could he do that? I mean, why, why would he ever even get involved in that? And yet we have our own area of weakness. And other people say, what's their problem? See, we can't criticize somebody else for their area of weakness, but we are all here to uh, lay aside that sin that ensnares us so easily, so readily. And we think we're getting strong, and then you walk down the street, and suddenly, bang, you trip over it again. Or it grabs you, it's like a noose around the neck, and it just jerks you up. And he said, we need to lay that aside. Now, we need to do that so that we can run the race. And so the metaphor here is that in our spiritual life, we are running a race. So let us run. Let us keep on running. You can't quit. You can't just start the race and say, oh, I've had enough. Uh, I know I'm only halfway to the finish line, but I've run far enough. No, we, we need to keep on running, 
And he says you need to do this with patience or with endurance. Sometimes the Greek word here is translated patience. Sometimes it means endurance. And the point of this word, whether you have patience or endurance, means you stand up under pressure. That no matter what is pressing down on you, no matter what the stress is in your life, you stand up under it. You don't crater. You don't cave under the pressure. And so you need to keep on running, and you need to do this with endurance so that you do not quit. You don't quit under pressure. So things are tough. You don't quit. You don't give up in your spiritual life. So we need to run the race. Now, the word race is interesting. It's actually not the word for a race, uh, but that's what it means in this particular context. The word is agon in Greek, from which we get our word agony. And it's a word that is used for a contest, a competition. And here, of course, it's used metaphorically for a race. But it's talking about the course of life. And we have here exertion. We have self-denial in the face of opposition. So this word means a struggle, a fight, an intense non-physical conflict. So we have this race. Now, it's interesting that he says here, this race is set before us. I want you to uh, remember this phrase, set before. God has set before every one of us a race. We're not in competition one with the other. You have your own race to run. And this race is set before us by God. What you have to face in life is God's business. And he's going to determine what you face in life. Things come along and you say, why me? Why did this happen? What did I do to deserve this? It's God's business. God knows what he is doing. He has a purpose for it all. And our purpose is not to understand why. <clears throat> you know Philippians 4 6 and 7, stop worrying about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What does this mean, the peace that passes understanding? It means you don't have to understand why. You don't have to know what God is doing. What you have to do is say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you. I'm here for your purposes. And even though I don't understand, I'm going to keep on trusting God. And when I do that, and when I engage the Lord in prayer, and I cast my burdens on the Lord, he will sustain me, and we cast all our cares on him, knowing that it's a concern to him. And I can have peace that goes beyond my capacity to understand my circumstances. And so we are to understand God is the one who has set the race before us. Now, you can choose to run the race, or you can choose to quit. That's your decision. But the race that is set before you, that's God's business. And you have to believe God knows what he's doing, 
and he has your best interests in heart, even though it may be hard. You want to see hard? Read chapter 11, where you see what some of these people had to endure. Now, he said the, day, the race that is set before us, and the word set before, it means to be put on public display, or it is used for a prescribed goal or some, a prospect in the future. We have a goal that is set before us. Even as the Apostle Paul said in the book of Philippians chapter 3, I press toward the goal for the prize. We need to keep on running that race with endurance so that we can reach that goal. So let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And now... He tells us how we are to do that. Looking unto Jesus. The word looking, uh, actually it's a compound word in the Greek text, and it means to look away. Now it doesn't mean to look away from Jesus, but it means to look away from other things to Jesus. And the word translated looking here means to look without distraction. It means you're going to focus so that you're going to turn away from all of this stuff out here and you are going to focus on one thing. Fix your eyes on Jesus and forget the other stuff that's going to distract you. Now, Jesus here is described as the author and perfecter of our faith or the author and the finisher of our faith. These terms, author and finisher, have been translated various different ways. Uh, the word author here, it means a leader. Sometimes it's translated prince. Uh, let's see what we have in Hebrews 2.10. Ah, here in this one, it's translated captain. Uh, I don't know what you have in the NAS, but... Uh, it means a leader or one who shows the way. Now, Jesus is the one who shows the way with regard to our faith. Did Jesus have faith? Did he have to walk by faith? Oh, indeed, he did. He had faith in the Father's plan for the Incarnation. He had faith that the Father was going to do exactly what was planned. Jesus had faith. In 1 Peter 2.21, it says, Jesus left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, but when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus had to commit his suffering, his life, to the Father. Jesus endured a lot. But what did he do? He had to give it into the Father's hands and trust him. And so he left us the example 
And Jesus here is the one who shows the way with regard to faith. He is also called the perfecter of our faith. Now, what does this word perfecter mean? Interesting, this is the only place that this word is found, not only in the Bible, but anywhere. Apparently, the writer of Hebrews uh, coined this word. And it's based on the word to make perfect or to bring to maturity. And the writer of Hebrews has used the word for perfection or maturity numerous times uh, in uh, the book of Hebrews. Uh, For example, in Hebrews 2.10, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Well, Jesus was perfect as far as being sinless. He was already that, so he didn't have to be made perfect in that sense. But he is saying here he uh, made the captain or the leader of their salvation mature through suffering, so that Jesus also had to grow. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, the perfect man, also had to learn obedience. He had to trust the Father. And so that's the idea that we find here where he is called the finisher of our faith. He is the one who is going to bring our faith to maturity as we continue looking unto him, as we are looking away from all the distractions in the world and focusing our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he is going to be our example Now, notice what Jesus did. He endured the cross, despising the shame. And why did he do it? Well, the writer here says he did it for the joy that was set before him. Do you see the the word set before? Set before. Same word that was found in the previous verse, where we have a race that has been set before us. Jesus had something that was before him, But the thing that brought Jesus through all of the agony, all of the suffering on the cross, here is called joy. Joy that was set before him. Now the word for here, when it says for the joy, it's actually the word anti, as in anti-Christ. But the word actually mean it's a word for substitution. It means in the place of, in exchange for. And in exchange for all of the suffering of the cross, there is joy. The cross was at the beginning of the race which he endured, but Jesus was looking toward the goal. He's not looking at the circumstance. He's not focusing on all of the pressure and the suffering. Instead, he is looking at what is going to be on the other side. And what's on the other side is called here joy. What is the joy that Jesus anticipated that made him willing and able to endure all of that suffering? The joy that was set before him was the joy of pleasing the Father. He always wanted to glorify the Father. And also, 
It was the joy of bringing many sons into glory. And that means the joy that was set before Jesus, that caused him to endure the cross, was you. You were the joy set before him. Just think about this. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Because he knew there would be joy in having fellowship with you forever and ever. That was the joy set before him. And he saw that as he looked into the future. There's going to be joy because people are going to be saved. People are going to have eternal life. They're going to have the forgiveness of sins. And I'm going to have fellowship with my brothers and sisters forever and ever. That was the joy that was set before him. And because of this, it says that he endured the cross. (laughs) Endured. There we have the word again for standing up under pressure, not quitting, not giving in. He endured the cross. And he despised the shame. He disregarded the shame. It was there. Did he endure shame? Yes, he did. But he was willing to endure that because of the joy that was set before him. And so it says he disregarded or despised the shame. That's why Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And because of that, God has highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's why he endured the cross. He despised the shame. The crucifixion was great shame. It was great humiliation humiliation, but also Jesus had the sins of the world poured out upon him. He died as our substitute. He died in our place. He paid our penalty so that the righteous judgment of a holy God could be satisfied. Justice demands a penalty where there is violation of the law. We are all sinners by nature as well as by action. We deserve God's justice. But Jesus paid our penalty so that God would be able to forgive us and so we can have the forgiveness of sins and we can receive eternal life as a free gift simply by putting faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know if you're going to go to heaven when you die, you don't know if God the Father would allow you to enter into his heaven, I want to to hear some good news. Right now, right where you sit, without any works on your part, you can become the recipient of eternal life. You can have your sins forgiven. It's simply by believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins. If you believe that Jesus will take away your sins, he will do it. If you believe he'll take you to heaven when you die, he'll do it. Jesus did the work of salvation. We simply receive eternal life as a free gift because Jesus endured the cross. He despised the shame. So the outcome of his race, the Father is glorified, and Jesus brought many sons into glory. And after that, it says that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sat down. He's still there. He's waiting until his enemies have been made a footstool for his feet. He is waiting for that time when the Father says, it's time for you to go back. 
and he's going to come again and receive us unto himself that where he is we may be also. And the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What great promises God has given to us. Therefore, look away from all of the distractions and look unto Jesus. And he says that we should do this lest you grow weary and faint in your souls. You ever get tired of it? Oh, I'm tired of this. All this suffering, all of this grief, all of this pressure. I'm so tired of this. Of course we get weary. But if you get weary and give up on the spiritual life, then that's a problem. Because we need to run with endurance without giving up. And there are those who get weary, and as a result, they faint in their souls. They get discouraged. They quit. They walk away from it. Hey, I tried doctrine. It doesn't work. Yeah, well, I learned some promises. They don't work. Hmm. Oftentimes, people faint in their souls. But God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. And if you get those into your souls, ah, that will give you strength. The ability to stand up under pressure so that you don't quit. Do you know these promises? I'm, I'm thrilled. You, you've got a scripture memory program. I think that the people of God need to be in the Word of God every day, every day. I go to many, many churches. Many of them are called Bible churches. They don't even carry Bibles. But not only that, we have people in Bible churches and they don't read their Bible. They don't know what's in it. I think you need to be in the Word every day. Let's do a little Bible math right here. In your Bible, you have 1,189 chapters. Now, if you divide 1,189 by 365, number of days in a year, you will discover that if you read three chapters a day, you're going to read your Bible in a year. That's surprising. How long will it take you to read your Bible? I have an audio Bible. I like to listen to the Word of God. And in this audio Bible, a man reads very slowly and distinctly. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Very slowly. You know how long it takes him to read from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22? About 72 hours. 72 hours to read the Bible out loud, slowly. Ah, well, let's divide 72 hours by 365 days. How long will it take you to read your Bible? You're going to be shocked. 12 minutes. 
12 minutes. Do the math. You have 12 minutes a day? I'm going to tell you, most people will spend more than 12 minutes looking at their telephone. And people say, I don't have time to read the Bible. Really? You can read it all the way through in a year in 12 minutes. Shame on us. <laughs> and I think we need to be reading it just to keep the Word of God flowing through our thinking. So it's going to constantly remind us of God's faithfulness in the past and the promises that He has given to us for today. And there are thousands of promises for you, Christian, for you today. But if you don't know them, they're not going to help you. They're not going to benefit you. I want to encourage you, get into the Word, read the Word, meditate on the Word. Meditation, you're going to consider what God has said, and you need to think, how does this apply to my situation? This book of the law shall not depart out of, out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law of the Lord does he meditate day and night. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and anything worthy of praise, meditate on these things. What are you thinking about? We're going to focus on the problem. We're going to focus on the promises of God. So on the front of your bulletin today, this is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden, the God who gives us salvation. God is to us a God of salvation, and he has said, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will uphold I will. Yea, we'll uphold you with the right hand of... Uh, I'm sorry. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. For with God nothing shall be impossible. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Who shall separate us from this love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing in all of creation 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Stop worrying about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. I don't know what your circumstances are today. You have problems. You have pressures. You have great suffering. Question. Does God know about this? What do you think? Does God know where you are? Huh? Yes. God knows where you are. Question. Does God have the ability to solve your problem? Does he have that ability? Is he God Almighty? God the Omnipotent? Can he solve your problems? Does he have that ability? Yes. But he hasn't done that, has he? Question. Why not? Why has God not solved your problem? He could. Is he a loving God? Yes. Can he solve your problem? Yes. Has he done so? No. Why? Because he has his own purpose. And we have to remember, why are we here? We are not here to be comfortable, which is the goal of most people in this life. What do you want? Out of? Well, I want to be comfortable. What's that going to take? Well, I'm going to have to have a house, car, money, whatever, or health. We are here to fulfill God's purpose, and we are here to glorify God. And in the midst of all of your suffering, we need to remember why we are here. And the question is not, why am I suffering? The question is, what does God want me to do in this situation? The question is, how can I glorify God right now in the midst of my unpleasant circumstances? What can I do to bring glory to the one who loved me and gave himself for me. What can I do right now to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ? That's why we're here. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we make it our goal. This is our focus in life. Here is our aim, to be pleasing unto him. That should be the goal of each of our life. And so instead of saying, oh, for me, or why me? Instead of growing weary and fainting in our souls, we say, Father, I'm here You know where I am. And it may be that you are in that no water situation like the children of Israel out in the desert. No water. What am I going to do? Say, this is where the Lord has brought me. He knows where I am. He has a purpose for me right here, right now. It may be so that you can be a witness, so that you can be a testimony. One of the greatest testimonies I ever heard. There was a man in Arkansas by the name of Sternberg, an atheistic Jew. He was the leading oncologist in the entire state of Arkansas, and he became a believer in Jesus. And you know what brought him to faith in Jesus? He said, in my business, most of my patients die. He was a cancer doctor. 
He said, but Christians don't die like other people. He said, I've seen so many people die, and there are people, he said, they are bitter, they are angry, they are so disturbed, worried. Christians, I walk into the room, they say, Doc, I'm going to die in a few days. I know where I'm going. What about you? Where are you going to go when you die? He said, they were more concerned about me than they were about themselves. Christians don't die like other people. Wow. What a testimony. Now, that's a witness. And right now, you may be suffering. You may be enduring a lot of things. People are watching. And you have the opportunity to be a witness just by your faith. I'm going to trust God. I'm not bitter. I'm not upset. I'm not angry. I'm just going to say, how can I glorify God right now? And it might be because you don't give up. It might be because you're going to show a life of faith exhibited in many ways. Looking unto Jesus. Run with endurance. God has set a race before you. And you reach that goal. And your father is going to look down like a father at the Olympic Games. And he says, see that one? That's my son. That's my child running in the, in the race. When you cross that finish line, that's my child. That's my son. We do it, we run to please the Father, to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we are so blessed. You have given us everything necessary for salvation for eternity, but also for every situation of life, no matter how great the circumstances, the pressures, the disasters, you have made perfect provision so that we can have inner peace, we can have joy, but also we can fulfill your purpose and glorify you. I just pray that your Holy Spirit will take the word that we have heard this morning, cause the truth to ring in our ears, bring the truth to our mind as we are faced with things in this coming week, temptations that might hinder our spiritual life, or just the pressures of life, all of the garbage that the world might throw at us. May we look away from these things and focus without distraction on our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gave the perfect example of faith and obedience, and the one who will also bring our faith to maturity. I thank you, Father, for the wonderful opportunity we've had this day to fellowship with you through the word, the fellowship with one another in this body of believers. May we be encouraged and stimulated to love and good deeds. And as we go out, may we focus 
on bringing glory to the one who loved us and gave himself for us, even Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray.